It is a delight to be with you today. Um, we have had the exact same experience as, as the Damianis with Family Camp. We've actually been going there since 1993. So you can do the math on that. It's been a long time. It's been a very, very life-giving thing for us. And a big, the whole big part of it is really the friends we make, and the chance to, to share ministry and share stories. Because, you know, there we can talk about our congregations without you guys listening in. And that's really a wonderful thing, you know, to be able to do. Um, but it's really life-giving to be able to, uh, to come together and to, to study together and to grow together. Uh, and it's, it's a real pleasure to be with you today. We really love Aaron and Laura, their kids, and it's been fun to see them all grow up some, and um, we look forward to that some more. I want to speak with you this morning about the issue of discernment. And it's something that we find there in the first part of the First John uh, letter that was, read, that was read to us, First John 4. And then it moves into a, a section which talks about how we love one another and how God loves us. We'll touch on that a little bit, but what I want to talk with us about today is the fact that we need to be people who evaluate the truth among us. We need to evaluate whether the input we get is something which, which blesses and feeds and honors Jesus Christ, or if it's something that starts turning us away. I don't know about you, but um, I find myself so barraged by worldly stuff anymore. I mean, it's on my computer. I go to the gas station. I pump gas. There's a screen in front of me in the gas station. I go to Jewel to buy groceries. There's a screen in front of me at Jewel. There's this hammering of worldly values and and Dave, you need to buy this, and you need to buy that. And it just gets to be tiresome for one thing, but also dangerous. Because I think that, that the cumulative effect is something which we can't always measure until sometimes we've gone too far. So I want to talk to us today about, about the message of First John, which is for us to test the spirits to see whether they're true and to move then into living that truth out. I want to begin by reminding us that there are two times in this text that, that it says beloved. When he's talking about discerning, John begins with beloved. When he talks about God loving us, he uses the word beloved. So we are welcomed into this as people, as those of us who know Jesus Christ, to, to a, a, a family, a fellowship, which is beloved. I want you to be sure of, of knowing that on the way in. And, and if you don't know yet Christ, not Christ yet as Lord and Savior, that's what you're invited to. You're invited to a beloved relationship with God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's important that we, that we take a look at what we believe because beliefs shape lives, and particular beliefs shape lives in particular ways. Because our attitudes, uh, our priorities always lead to some kind of action or inaction. And it's important because those actions and inactions interface with the relationships that we have, and they're really part then of the fabric of our lives. Now, one of the things I want to remind us of also coming in is the great commandment that Jesus gives to us, where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. We're going to be looking at the mind mostly today, but the invitation is there in the New Testament to know God, to know God personally, but also that that would move into a love relationship. It's not an intellectual exam for a class that we're taking. It is an invitation to a relationship in which we are loved, and because of the love that God has given us, we love because God first loved us. So there's a balancing nature about that, I think. Um, I've been reading through a devotional book this summer, and, and it has a chapter on, on several very important Christian thinkers, one of whom is Augustine. And Augustine said that, uh, this is a paraphrase of it, 
that we need to have a structured view of our devotional life with God so that we are growing in an intentional sort of way. Then the authors go on to say this, most teaching today seeks to recover a vitality of the Christian life by emphasizing the love of God without equally stressing the need for a knowledge of God. And these trends bear a striking similarity to earlier movements, which resulted in a widespread ignorance about God. And when that lack of knowledge got too great, we also saw a lack of love. So what we know and how we test that has a huge effect in how we live our lives out with other people. I've long thought about my life anyway as a journey, as a, as a lot of different walks along the road. I, I somewhat, I don't know if arrogantly or whatever, titled my journals, began titling my journals in college, Journey, number one and number two. I forget where I am right now. But I want to tell you about um, one hike that I took along the way that's part of the journey, because each journey of life uh, has a lot of different hikes in it. I grew up in Southern California in the country, small town in the country. Um, I grew up raising avocados. Our family's been farming avocados for years out there. That's one trivial thing you needed to know about me this morning. <laughs> but I grew up outside camping and hiking, and, and one of my best friends is a guy named Randy, and he lived just right over the hill from us. And um, we were in Boy Scouts together, and our Boy Scout troop did a whole bunch of camping and hiking and things like that. And Randy and I had a real love for this. So about midway through college, um, he was up in a town called um, Chico, California. There's a university there. And Randy said, hey, before school starts, let's go on a backpacking trip. So I drove up to, to Chico, and, and Randy and I packed up our packs. We had a, a week's worth of provisions and clothes, our sleeping bags, our tents, things like that. And I mention all that just because I want you to know it wasn't a day pack. This was a pretty big load on our backs. And we went up to an area called the Yola Boli Wilderness Area. You want to say that? Yola Boli. It's fun. It means a snow-covered high peak. Beautiful, beautiful area. And we drove up to the trailhead and put our packs on and started down the trail in this wonderful week of backpacking. And one of the things, if you've done much backpacking on trails, you learn to read trail signs, which are rocks which are stacked in particular ways to let you know you're on the right path or you need to turn a particular different way. And we hiked for quite a while, an hour or more, and noticed that at every one of the trail signs, there was a red tag on a tree. Well, a red tag on a tree is a lot easier to see than a trail sign because some of them are just hard to, to find. So we follow these red tags for another hour or two, and we come into this clearing, and we look at the trees in front of us, and there are like 100 red tags on the trees. Those were not trail signs. They were logging tags. So we thought, we are so far off the trail now. What are we going to do? So we, we got our map out, we got our compass out, we figured, okay, if we bushwhack from this point a few miles up this way, we're going to cross the trail again. So we set out doing that. What we didn't count on is the fact that the, the creek that we were walking on would go to a sheer face at places. We'd have to climb all the way up with the backpacks, back down, dodge the rattlesnakes on the dry ground and the water snakes in the, in the creek, and finally... I won't belabor it too long, but probably eight hours later, we came to where the, where the other creek crossed, and there was a trail sign. I tried to find my picture of it. I, I don't have it. I have a picture of both of our boots next to this trail sign where this creek crosses. But we were back on the trail then. We were able to make our way through the rest of the week and had a really, really great time. But the moral of the story is it's really important what you use as trail signs on your journey of life. Because if you follow the red tags, you're going to end up in a place 
and I'm going to end up in a place where we don't want to go. And it's not that we can't recover from it because we have a map in Scripture and we can go ahead and do it, but it's much, much easier. It's, it's much, much easier, I'll just put it that way, to follow the correct signs and to stay on the path. And the sign for us is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the living word, and the written word that we have in Scripture, because that reveals to us the truth of the gospel, the truth that Jesus says will set us free as we have a relationship then with him. Jesus said that now in John 17, now this is eternal life, that they know you, he's talking to the disciples, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Paul said to Timothy toward the end of his life, this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So in Scripture, truth is important. And as you read through different books of the Bible, especially if you read through Paul's epistles, Paul is addressing particular challenges in the early church. What he writes to the Galatians is different than what he writes to the Philippians. What he writes to the Thessalonians is different than what he writes to the Colossians, because he is trying to to speak to particular issues in those particular churches so that they stay. Remember, this is the early church. They stay dedicated to Jesus Christ as the truth and the gospel as the truth and don't deviate out on other areas. And, and we'll talk about those in just a moment. Well, how does truth set us free? There are a lot of ways I think it does that. I mean, truth accurately describes reality. It tells us what reality really is. I don't know about you, but I'm having a really hard time figuring out which news to watch because it all seems to be nuanced in different ways. I'm not sure when I'm getting the truth, for, and I'm not going to mention any networks, but I'm not sure I'm always getting the truth. I've got to read a whole bunch of different news stories to come to what I think is true. So truth is stable in that way. Truth moves us beyond our own limited and self-centered perspectives. It's so easy for me to say, you know what? I think this is true, but, but this is almost true, so I can live my life in this way. And eventually, I'm, I deviate out to the point where I'm not really recognizable as a follower of Jesus Christ anymore. I know that sometimes we feel constrained by boundaries, but the boundaries that God gives us in Scripture are there for our benefit because within those boundaries, we are completely free. So if you look at the Ten Commandments, for example, those boundary, first of all, who God is and our love for God. And the last six commandments boundary um, our relationships with other people in regard to our sexual relationships and our, our treatment of life, our treatment of things. Then the very middle of that is the fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment, which gives us space to reflect upon those things so that we actually take the time to say, yeah, I'm moving off the beaten path here and I need to get back on the right path. And so Sabbath is important because it gives us the space to move beyond our limited perspectives, and to reacquaint ourselves with the Lord. Truth is important because it teaches us a knowledge of God, and it contrasts the falsehoods in a revealing way in our world around us. The scripture which was read in 1 John talks about the Antichrist. It talks about people who have gone out from the church. And what that's saying is exactly this. There, there is truth, and there is also falsehood. And we need to be paying attention to and testing things because truth is stable and truth is life-giving and truth leads us then forward. Earl Palmer many years ago, and he's one of my favorites, he's a retired Presbyterian pastor, um, he said there are no benefits to ignorance 
or sloppy thinking. Christians are given, in this passage by John, the mandate to be mentally wide awake and to be growing intellectually as well as morally and spiritually. That's important because the intellectual leads us to interpret the moral and the spiritual as well. What was the context of John's letter? There were two, really. Um, The first was the influence of Jewish people in the area then, and the problem there was they moved into legalism. Um, We find that if you read the book of Galatians, Paul addresses this directly, where people were moving from a sense of of a covenantal relationship with God based on grace, having to follow the law in order to be accepted by God. Now, the boundaries of the law are still there, but we're saved by faith, by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we need to not descend then into legalism. We need to have a knowledge of God which keeps us in that personal relationship. That was one context. The other was the Greeks. And the Greeks spiritualized things in that day and age. They, were, they had, a, had a, a mistrust of the physical world. They thought that the physical world was distrustful. It was distasteful. It wasn't important. They couldn't wait to, to get upon this spiritual plane. And as a result of that, they engaged in all kinds of moral craziness because the body didn't matter. So what John is saying here probably relates mostly to the Greek thinking because of the context we know of John's life, that the people who moved out from the church did so because they had spiritualized the gospel, and the way he talks about Jesus coming in the flesh, they had denied Jesus' humanity and therefore denied the power of the cross. And the most important thing for us as we think about what it means to be accepted by God is to know that Christ died for our sins on the cross, that we might be dead to sin and be alive to all that is good. We can't earn our way there by legalism. We can't ignore our way there by that. We must know Jesus as fully human and as fully God, and his work on the cross then is the pivot point in all of history in that way. Because Paul says later on that he could have talked because of it with eloquence and wisdom, but he wanted to preach Christ crucified. So that's the challenge that John is addressing here, that Christ came in the flesh. He was fully human as well as fully God. And that needs to be pulled here into the center of what we're talking about this morning, because as we talk about discernment, we're bouncing back and forth with all of the worldly things around us to that core truth of the gospel, that Jesus was fully human and fully God, and so his work on the cross was necessary for us to be forgiven. And we are welcomed then into a relationship with him because of that. So in that context, John says, you know, we see these people who have come out from us. We need to be people who test the spirits to see if they are indeed from God. And when he talks about testing, it's, it's just a word that you and I understand. We, we test drive a car. We test a battery to see if it works. We test an idea to see if it's true just to work with it and see whether it it delivers what it's supposed to. Paul says, test the spirits to see if they are true. And I think he means this in a dual sense. We talk about um, having a sweet spirit or, or a critical spirit. So there's just this general sense of how people act. But it also focuses in the Christian gospel on the work of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit leads us to live. So he contrasts then a spirit of truth and the spirit of the age. And we need to understand that truth is not just an intellectual thing. It is an intellectual issue. We, we take the information in through our heads. We, we take it through our thought processes, and we, we come to decisions. But truth is also a relational issue. 
It's deeply relational because truth leads to the allegiances that we make. It leads to our priorities that we hold on to. It leads to our associations and our community and who we allow to influence us. And that's a pretty important thing. I mean, we, we find ourselves agreeing and disagreeing with people all the time. It's worth asking the question, am I agreeing with that person because it's the truth or because I just don't want to fight it out here at this point? John says, false prophets have gone out. People have left the church. And he contrasts that then with the spirit of the age. So within the context of the intellectual and relational, he says there is also a spiritual issue going on. It is the spirit of the Antichrist. It's not just legalism. It's not just spiritualizing. It's also, for our age, I think, something different. And I want to look at just a couple things briefly today. One of the obvious issues of of the spirit of our age is relativism, that there's really no propositional truth. Now, I want to say that as we address this with people, we don't have to be snarky about it. I, I want us to understand that. I don't want to to go in totally critical and unfeeling because not everybody understands the truth. But this relativism keeps people from taking a stand on things. And we need to find winsome ways to address that in our love and service for people. Another spirit of our age that that I want to just mention is what I would call, there's probably another word for it, emotionally connected individualism. And what a person in this perspective says is, you can't challenge what I think. Because if you challenge what I think, you're going to hurt my feelings. And the most important thing is that my feelings not get hurt. Um, I won't tell you the, the name of the article that I read, but it was an article because it's, it's a little profane, frankly. But, but the article was from a liberal professor in a university in the United States. And it talked about how, so this is not in a Christian context. This is the spirit of the age. This professor talked about how they could not challenge their students to consider other ideas other than what they already thought because it offended them so much they couldn't stand it. They would be writing Yelp interviews that were horrible. They would bring their mattresses and camp in front of the professor's offices so they couldn't get in. It just got really, really bad. And so that's one of the things that's happening in our world. You, if you challenge my beliefs, you hurt my feelings. And the most important thing is you cannot hurt my feelings. How do we relate to these? Julie and I were both involved in um, a group called Young Life many years ago, and one of Young Life's incarnational principles is you earn the right to be heard, meaning you, you love people where they are, you get to know them, you legitimately care for them. This is not a manipulation thing. As you get to know them better, you care for them. You, you understand their world, you understand the things they're involved with, and when, when you have earned that right to speak, And many times it's not because you'd said, you know, I want to say this now. It's because they say, I want to ask you about this. So we come and we love people and we hang out with them and we don't judge them. And when we have opportunity, we go ahead and speak to the truth we know. In my first ordained position, we had a a weekend retreat. A lot of of walks here in this sermon today. (laughs) Um, And we had a thing called an Emmaus walk. And the way the speaker interviewed, introduced us to it was this. He said, you're you're going to go out with somebody else, preferably someone you don't know very well. You're going to go out with them for an hour. You're going to decide who talks first. And for the first half an hour, one of you talks about whatever is on their heart, and the other one listens. No interjections, no questions, no comments. You just listen. And so 
since I was one of the leaders, I thought, well, I'll go last and kind of see who's left. And the last person who was left was a fr uh, not a close friend, but a guy I was getting to know named Steve. And so Steve and I started the walk, and um, he said, who do you want to go first? I said, well, you go ahead and go first. And so Steve talked for half an hour about some philosophical, pseudo-theological things that he and his wife were getting involved with. I had these red lights just going off the whole time for me. And, and we had enough relationship that I could speak to that when it became my turn. So we walked out a half an hour with Steve's issues and walked a half an hour back. And I shared with him just some of the things I was learning about the Lord and about the gospel and, and, and what I thought was, was really true and helpful. And um, that was a watershed moment for him. I, had, I knew him well enough to have earned the right to be heard. I gently presented what I knew about the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. And, and Steve and his wife made commitments to Christ, and they became youth leaders, and they're just really, really wonderful friends to this day. We don't have to go in with a hammer. Matter of fact, we can't go in with a hammer. Uh, there's no place in Scripture that says, share your faith by hammering people to death. You know, there's an old book which talked about evangelism, and it had a stick figure picture on the front of it. There's this guy laying down on the ground, there's a guy on top of his chest with a Bible in his hand going like that. Well, that's not the picture of what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to, to learn to know people and to love them. But to pray for them because the spirit of the age is real. Jesus talked about the influence of Satan many, many times. And we need to be praying for people that God and the Holy Spirit can do for them what we can't do for them. So we need to be testing the spirits. The witness of scripture is primary. What it reveals to us about Jesus is important that we know who Jesus is personally. And what it teaches us about our behavior is important as well. But I want to end with, this, with a few thoughts about this, that, that the crucial, one of the crucial roles of community is testing the truth. That when we get together in groups, when we get together in the church, that's really where John is speaking to the church then. He's not speaking just to individuals. Now, we, we begin, certainly individual, um, it's up to us to, um, to desire to grow spiritually. Uh, it's up to us individually to read scripture. It's up to us individually to offer prayer to God. But where we really find that testing the spirits to be most valuable, so when we get together in small groups with one another, groups where we love each other and where we've gotten to know each other or are getting to know each other, and test the ideas of what's happening in our world around us. So we read scripture together, and we talk about that. We pray for each other. We, um, we share with each other answer prayers in the sense of God's presence. We grapple with issues together in a safe place because that's the only place we can test things in community, which leads us then into the last section of the scripture, the beginning of the second half of 1 John 4, which talks about God loving us. The whole purpose of it, as I mentioned earlier, is not to to get things right on an exam. It's to further our relationship with God so that we might know the peace of Christ that passes understanding. We might love others with the love that Christ has given us as we see him loving saints and sinners in the New Testament. It's important for us to move beyond doctrine into relationship and into then ministry. And you know, our, our, our approach to life changes a bit from year to year. The gospel doesn't change. But we have different issues on our minds and hearts from year to year. Year before last, I, I decided to read through the Bible in a year. I haven't done that for some time. I would suggest it, though. If you haven't done it, it's good. And I decided to get my, my Bible that I bought when I first had come to faith. 
1973, most of you weren't even alive then, right? Okay, 1973, I, I had my Bible, and I was in college then, and I marked it up with all the highlighters, you know, that we used when we were in college. And I went through that same Bible two years ago. It was amazing to me how passages that I had not underlined spoke to me today. And the passages that had spoken to me today, I was thankful for, but weren't maybe quite as, as impactful on my life today. So the Holy Spirit enters into the context of our lives and brings the unchangeable truth of Scripture into application and to awareness for us in that. And so as we think about what it means to live into the truth, um, we're never going to do it perfectly. God understands that. One of my main mentors says that this statement is really not practice makes perfect. It's practice makes better. So we want to be going better every year. And so we need to live into the truth as a relational exercise of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, out of the overflow of God's love given to us, with an eye and a heart to sharing that love with those who don't know Jesus. So I hope this year, this week, today, uh, you'll open your Bible. I don't know if your church is doing any kind of Bible reading plan, but there are ones that Pastor Aaron, Father Aaron can give you, or I would be happy to speak with you as well. Um, to move you into scripture and to, if you're not part of a small group, to, to move into that so you can test these things together. And small groups are so great because they become a, a laboratory for what it means to not only test the truth, but also to live the truth. Uh, we've been going to Cedar Campus all these years together. There's been some great history there. I'm also part of a covenant group of pastors that's been together for 31 years. And that's been important in my life as well. So the final result is that we know God, we know each other better, we learn to test the spirits. Be aware of that. If you learn anything from the sermon today, I hope it is, I need to be aware of what I'm being taught, it's being presented to me. I need to test that against God's truth, against the teachings of our church, against the fellowship of those I'm involved in. And I pray, friends, that you are just blessed in that and grow in some wonderful ways, both deeper and wider and higher in our relationship with Jesus Christ, that God blesses you richly in the years ahead. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, I, I thank you that, that we love because you first loved us. I thank you that you are the way and the truth and the life, and that you are our access to God the Father. And I pray, Lord, in this day that, that for those of us who have been perhaps a little lazy in evaluating the things we believe and follow, that you would give us uh, the fire of, of restoring that sense of testing things and moving closer to you. And Father, for those who don't know you yet, I pray that they would see the boundaries of your truth as a gateway to freedom and a gateway to being in a safe place where they are loved both now and forever. So Lord, in either case, lead us to you and your grace and your love. We thank you, Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen.